you know, we are in this series called The Story, and our series is based on this book that I have right over here called The Story. We have a few, a few copies of this left at the Info Hub, and so if you haven't picked this up yet, it's not too late. You know, we're in the New Testament right now, and, and we'd love for you to pick up one copy per household uh, while they uh, remain, because you're at the first service, you probably have a better shot at it. And so if you were to come at 1115, uh, we may be out by then, depending on how many of you take one of those. But um, if, if you don't have that, uh, you can read right from your Bible. There is a reading plan on the back of your worship program. You can take that with you and keep it. We'd love to have you uh, read along with us because it's so important. Uh, my name is Steve Wallen. I'm, a, I'm a, the campus pastor here, but I'm also a runner. Many of you know that about me, um, but I haven't always been a runner. And I have to tell you that I remember very distinctly the day I started being a runner. I was a, in high school. Um, I think I was in 10th grade. It may have been 11th, but I was either sophomore or a junior. And um, I remember that I uh, was getting ready for bed one night, and I took my shirt off to put my pajamas on, and I looked down, and I could barely see my toes. And I thought, that's not good. I don't think that's supposed to happen. I think you're supposed to be able uh, to see your toes. And I thought, what's in the way? Oh, my belly is in the way. And so I weighed um, over 200 pounds uh, when I was in high school as a sophomore and junior. I was bigger than I am now. And I remember I decided that night that instead of going to bed, I was going to go for a run. Now, I wasn't an athlete in high school. You have to know this. I never went to practice. I never, I never played. I played football up until sixth grade. I played basketball up until seventh grade. But by the time I got to high school, I went to a big high school, Ben Davis High School on the west side of Indianapolis. And by the time I got to high school, like you pretty much had to be college bound to play on the sports teams there. And so I was not good enough. I was not athletic enough to do anything like that. So I certainly wasn't a runner at the time. But I decided I put on my gym shoes and decided to go for a run around the block of our house. And I started to run, and I barely made it around the block. I'm telling you, I was not in good shape, but it started something inside of me, and I decided that the next night I was going to run again, and so I ran, and I ran around the block, and eventually I was running a mile, and then eventually I was running three miles, and I started to get in better and better shape, and I noticed some things changing about my body. Now, that was 20 years ago. And um, I, I don't want you to be able to do the math, so I won't tell you, but it was a number of years ago. And since then, I have run a lot. I've run, I was trying to calculate this week, uh, many thousands of miles, maybe tens of thousands, maybe 10,000 miles. I've run in hundreds of races. These are just some of my uh, number bibs from some of the races I've done. I've done over 100 races. Um, and, uh, but it all started with that one night, that one time when I was in high school and I decided like something needed to change. And so I went out for that run. You know, there's an ancient Chinese proverb that says the, the longest journey starts with a single step, right? The long, or the journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. Well, that's what I want to talk about today. We're in chapter 23 of the story. And so if you have your copy of the story, you might turn it there. Um, the chapter is titled Jesus ministry begins. And so today, we're going to take a look at that very first step in the ministry of Jesus. You know, where, what was the one thing that got Jesus going, that started his ministry off right? What was the one event we can look at and say, this is it. This is where his entire ministry started. You know, last week, if you were here, we talked about how the Bible can be divided up into three parts or three phases. We said the Old Testament uh, is telling us, constantly telling us, Jesus is coming. And that the first four books, what we call the Gospels of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, that's the part we're in right now, says Jesus is here. And then the rest of the Bible, the rest of the New Testament, which we'll study later uh, this year, says Jesus is coming back, 
right? So as Jesus is coming, Jesus is here, Jesus is coming back. And we're focused right now on the Gospels, the first uh, four books of the New Testament. And that means we're looking at the Jesus is here part. And so in case you missed last week, as Steve said, we celebrated Christmas. Um, I had my ugly Christmas sweater on, which I'll now confess was actually Steve's ugly Christmas sweater. So he has great taste in fashion bug sweaters. Um, And uh, what we said was that with the birth of Jesus, everything changed. You know, when Jesus entered the world, it changed the world. And when it's the same thing for you and me, when Jesus enters our life, it changes our life, right? And and so as we focus on that, if you spent time reading in your Bible or in the story this week, um, what you found is that the gospel writers, after telling the birth of Jesus, pretty much skip right to the beginning of his ministry, right? We only have one story about Jesus's childhood in the entire Bible. Uh, So we don't get to see what he was like as a teenager, you know, we don't get to see if Jesus had bad acne or, you know, if he was a moody teenager that locked himself in his room with his iPod all day, right? We don't get to see Jesus in his 20s at all. We don't know if he went through a hipster phase, you know, if he wore skinny jeans and a V-neck, if he played guitar. We don't know anything about Jesus, but that's not important because what's important is what happened once he turned 30. I mean, from the age 30 to 33, most of what we know about Jesus and his whole life, his whole ministry happened from when he was 30 until 33 years old. I mean, only three years. That's less than one term in office for a U.S. president, if you think about it. And and in that three years, uh, Jesus set a course that would forever change the history of the world. I I love what Dr. James Allen Francis says. He describes the life of Jesus this way. He says, Jesus was born in an obscure village, the child of a poor peasant couple, He worked in a carpentry shop until he was 30, and then for three years, he was an itinerant preacher. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. He never visited a big city. He didn't write a book. He never held an office. He had no family. He owned no home. He did none of the things that we think about when we think about greatness. And yet 19 centuries have come and gone, and he is the central figure of the human race. And all the armies that have ever marched, and all the navies that have ever sailed, and all the parliaments that have ever sat, and all the kings that have ever reigned, and all the presidents that have ever been elected put together have not affected life on this earth as much as that one man. Do you ever think about Jesus that way? Jesus changed things. He changed everything. Now, one of the challenges that I've run up against and preparing messages for this series is that there's so much material to cover in these chapters. There's so many things you can talk about, and it's the same for this week too. You know, if you did your reading, you probably read about uh, how Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, for instance, and he came, overcame temptation. We could look at how he invited the men who would become his first disciples to follow him. If you read this past week, you witnessed Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus. Uh, you heard those life-changing words from John 3.16, that, that God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. You know? He sent his one and only son to die for us. Next, there's this story after story of kindness and compassion from Jesus. It, you can see for yourself how Jesus went out of his way to touch and heal a man with leprosy. He, he went out of his way to meet the woman at the well. You know, from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he spent time teaching his disciples and performing miracles and teaching in the synagogues and spending time with nobodies that the religious elite had labeled as outcasts and rejects. But we're not going to look at any of those today. Uh, We'll look at similar stories in the weeks to come. And again, it's another reason why I think you really need to be reading. You get the most out of this series if you can read ahead. But what I want to do today is focus on one very specific, very important event in Jesus' life an event that really marks the beginning of his ministry on earth. 
And so uh, we're going to spend a few minutes looking at this event and what it means for Jesus. But, but then I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about something that's coming up in a couple of weeks here at Genesis Church and what it might mean for you. So if you have your Bible, you might turn it to Matthew chapter 3. Um, if you have the story, I think we're on page 322. Um, it's here we meet John the Baptist. Now, John is the son of Zechariah. Zechariah is a priest. And his mom, John's mom, is a woman named Elizabeth. John is a relative of Jesus, probably a cousin, Um, and uh, all we know about this guy is that one day he received a very special calling from God, and he came down out of the mountains, and he started preaching to people around Galilee. Now, this John was a wild dude, okay? He wore fur, uh, usually camel skin, uh, which in the desert is kind of weird, right? He ate locusts and honey. Uh, That's what we know about him. So he's kind of like Bear Grylls without the polished TV personality, if you can picture that, all right? And so that's who we're talking about. Well, one day John starts preaching and telling everybody about this man named Jesus, this Messiah that they've been waiting for and how he would be coming. In fact, people had been praising John the Baptist for his preaching and the, the work that he was doing. But John says, no, wait, wait. There's one coming who's much greater than I am. In fact, he says, I'm not even fit to tie his sandals. And then one day that man comes. Uh, Jesus shows up in Galilee to launch his public ministry. And the first thing he does, the very first thing we see Jesus do as an adult, uh, he decides to make a public commitment before God and before all of his friends. And it's in Matthew 3, uh, starting with verse 13. You can read along with me or the verses will be on the side screens here. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan. That's a river, okay, in case you didn't know. Uh, to be, you probably knew that. I know that's stupid, but the Jordan River. Jesus came to Galilee, to the Jordan, to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son who I love, and with him I am well pleased. And so that's the very first thing Jesus does to start his ministry. You know, notice how John the Baptist initially balks at Jesus' desire to be baptized. Wouldn't you? I mean, if somebody like Jesus came to you and said, I want you to baptize me, what would you say? Maybe the same thing that John did. You know, I don't blame the guy. Now, who could say that they're worthy enough to baptize Jesus? And part of John's challenge is that he's been preaching about baptism as a means of repentance, a means of repentance. Well, he knows Jesus hasn't sinned. He he doesn't have anything to repent from. You know, he's like, you're perfect. Why do I need to baptize you? You need to baptize me. That's part of the reason why John tried to deter Jesus. It raises a great question. Did Jesus need forgiveness? No. Jesus didn't need to confess any sins. He was sinless. It's why another John, uh, the John who's the author of the Gospel of John, which are different people if you didn't know that, but the John who wrote the Gospel of John later wrote these words in 1 John 3, 5. He says, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sin, and in him was no sin. And so if Jesus didn't need forgiveness of sin, why was he baptized? Well, I think there's several reasons worth noting. First of all, Jesus saw his baptism as a way of providing for us an example. Like he's not ever willing to ask us to do anything that he's not willing to do. And and so this is something that he wanted to do to provide an example for us. Uh, The second reason was it was a way of 
uh, advancing God's work on the earth. It was a way that he could show love and respect to his father and to the desire um, that his father, he loved his father. He, wa- he wanted to identify uh, with the people of Israel confessing their sin on their behalf to advance his father's kingdom. Number three was this. His baptism also served as a way of inaugurating his ministry. It was the very beginning of his ministry. And so while showing support to John the Baptist in his work, he could start his ministry in this very public way. Now, while all of these reasons, all three of these are important, I think the one that stands out as the most important is that first and foremost, Jesus was baptized because he loved his father. Jesus was a perfect man. You know, he didn't sin. The Bible tells us that. He didn't need baptism for a cleansing of sin, but he loved his father and he accepted baptism in obedience as a way of serving his father. And he did this publicly so there would be no doubt about why he came and who he came to earth to live for. Now, here's some really cool news. In two weeks here at Genesis Church, we're going to celebrate baptisms right here. And it's our hope and prayer that many of you will take that next step in your life, that, that step of obedience and make that decision to be baptized. Now, what I want you to do, to, what I want to do today uh, in the few minutes we have here is to help you understand the significance and the spiritual power of that decision to get baptized. And I, I want you to be able to see God's desire for you and what he can do in you and through your obedience. And so uh, there's at least three things that are, gonna, that are represented when we are baptized, when you're baptized, when I'm baptized. There are at least three things that are represented, and these, I put these in your notes. So if you have your worship program, you can turn there. Uh, if you want to follow along, you can. But when you are baptized, uh, there are three things you do. First of all is this. You identify with Christ. You identify with Christ. You know, baptism is an outward declaration that you are standing with Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus didn't want there to be any doubts who he stood with. And so when he was baptized, he was making a statement that he loved his father and that he came to earth to serve his father and to live for his father. Well, when you get baptized, you're doing the same thing. You're you're showing your love for your heavenly father. Galatians 3.26, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And so like we talked about a few weeks ago, it doesn't matter what the world says about you. It doesn't matter what the past says about you. But in Christ Jesus, uh, your previous failures don't matter anymore. The labels that have been affixed to you throughout your life, they don't matter anymore. They won't stick to you anymore. What's important that you are clothed with Christ. You know, when you get baptized, you're saying that you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, you're changing your Facebook relationship status, if, you, if that helps understand that. You're, you're publicly identifying with him. You're, you're letting everyone else know that you're opening yourself up to serve God with every part of your life. You know, that phrase, clothe yourself with Christ, is pretty relevant for us, especially at Genesis here uh, it, during football season. I'm looking around the room. I only see a couple of pieces of Colts gear, but oftentimes we have a lot of jerseys in the room on Sunday. I mean, we're several weeks into the NFL season, several weeks into the college season. Um, We have lots of jerseys that show up on Sundays here. You know, you get a chance to make a statement about your loyalty, right? And so any Colts fans in the room? You got some Colts fans in the room? Good. So a lot of blue. Uh, You guys celebrate blue Fridays, but I know a lot of times around here you celebrate blue Sundays too. But I know that there's people that also take an opportunity to wear you know, to, to noodle their friends, you know, to wear their other jerseys too. We see some Steelers jerseys and some Browns jerseys, if anybody still has any of those. Um, we see some Bears jerseys every once in a while. But then maybe you're a Colts fan, but you're also a Peyton Manning fan. And so, like, you've still got that 18 jersey that you wear around. Or maybe because Manning is in a new place, you've went out and bought the Broncos jersey 
the 18 jersey. And you wear that around like you're still a Colts fan, but you're a Manning fan, right? You still identify with Peyton. You still root for Peyton. Now, others of you are, are uh, maybe not at all Sunday football fans, but you're Saturday football fans. You're college football fans, right? Now, you see those all over uh, the place on Saturdays. A lot of Notre Dame jerseys, some Purdue football jerseys, and some other schools. Don't really see many IU football jerseys. I think because if you're an IU football fan, you're kind of a hybrid fan, right? You're like IU basketball, but Notre Dame football, everybody's kind of like that if you're an IU fan um, because there's not been anything to root for for a long time. But whatever team it is, you identify with your football team. But I know there's a lot of people in the room that don't like football at all. And so let me give you another example. Maybe you don't have uh, football, you're not a football fan at all, but you have a Pinterest page, right? Any Pinterest people in the room? Anybody on Pinterest? Yeah, you got a Pinterest page and, and you spend your Sunday afternoons pinning things, whatever that means, right? You're all over the internet and you're looking at pictures you like and recipes that you want and things that you want to do with your bedroom and your living room and you're pinning these things all over your wall and you got all these different pages and you got your bedroom page set up and your kitchen page set up and that's how you spend your Sundays. You're moving stuff onto your page. You're pinning stuff on your page and anybody who wanted to could look at your Pinterest page and see what kind of style you identify with, right? They could see where you stand. They could see how you identify. And so um, they, they know, you know, what, you're about. Well, in two weeks, some of you will do for Jesus what we do for our football teams and for our Pinterest pages. Some of you are going to make that decision to stand for Jesus, you know, something that really matters. Uh, You'll be baptized, and with your baptism, you're going to announce to everybody that you are identifying with Christ. Now, Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River. Uh, The Jordan River may have been the most public gathering place around in Israel at the time. It was like the Starbucks of Israel. You know, people went there for drinking water. It was a place to cool off on warm days. Uh, They bathed there. Okay, I know most of you probably don't bathe at Starbucks, but that's okay. Maybe that's where the analogy ends, but you get the point. Um, Everybody gathered there. It was probably the most public place you could imagine. And so when Jesus was baptized there, a lot of people saw it. There were a lot of people there uh, doing the things that they do at the Jordan River, and they got to see it, and that's how it was supposed to be. It was a public proclamation. Well, when we celebrate your baptism in a couple of weeks, I want, to invite, I want you to invite everyone you know, okay? I mean, that could mean family members or friends, the people you work with. It doesn't matter if they go to another campus, uh, if they go to another church, or maybe they don't go to church at all. You know, you invite the people you know, and you stand before them. It'll be right here, right here where I'm standing. In, in this very spot, you stand here, and you stand up before them, and you say, you know what? I don't any longer, I no longer stand with myself, but I stand for Jesus, Like the man who has changed everything has changed me. It's it's your opportunity to stand in front of the world and say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I want everybody to know on October 6th, you'll have the chance to do just that. So when you're baptized, you're publicly identifying with Christ. Second, you're doing this. You're baptized into his death. Now turn to Romans 6 uh, if you have your Bible. That's where we'll spend the rest of our time here. Romans 6 verse 3 says, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism in order, into death in order that just as Jesus Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So scripture says that when you are baptized, you are baptized into his death. Now, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like very much fun, does it? Well, it's a way of representing the fact that you are dead to your past, that you're dead to your old self. It's as if you are buried with Christ. And here's why that's important, okay? Because one of the questions that always comes up when we do baptism has to do with the method. 
You know, there are a lot of different churches, a lot of different traditions, a lot of different churches baptized differently. Some people, uh, some sprinkle water, some pour water. Well, when it comes to the method of baptism at Genesis, we believe in full immersion. You know, immersion means that you go all the way under. You know, we prefer immersion for a couple of reasons. First of all, um, I love to teach Greek words when I get the chance, and I don't know too many Greek words, and so I, I relish every chance I get. But do you know what the Greek word for baptize is? Baptize. That's pretty easy, right? You guys will all remember that. The Greek, you might want to write that down, okay? The Greek word for baptize is baptize. It means to immerse. It means to go all the way in the water. Now, in the case of baptism of a person, it means to take your body all the way under, your whole body under the water. In my personal opinion, um, immersion best represents, best illustrates what happens with baptism anyways. When you're immersed, you go all the way underwater as if, just as Christ was buried uh, when he died. You know, for you, you're buried in a watery grave. Now, if you've been really, really bad, I'll hold you down for an extra long period of time just to make sure, I'm just kidding. But seriously, immersion is a way of demonstrating that you're buried with Christ. And the best part is when you come exploding up out of the water, and we always hope that people will explode up out of the water because it helps me lift them up, but also because it's an exciting moment. You are raised from the water just as Christ was raised from the dead. Now, I want to say something about what this means and what, who should be baptized. Now, I know this may seem obvious, but I know some questions will come up. We baptize believers at Genesis, Okay. If you're not a believer, you are welcome here, and we want you to keep coming, and we love that you're here and that you're investigating and that you're checking this out, but if you want to get baptized, we hope uh, we're going we're to only baptize people who have made a decision for Christ and are at least old enough to understand what baptism means too. Now, well, how old is that? Well, we don't have a hard and fast age that we do, but, but, and I, but I really appreciate the work of Danielle and our Gen Kids team and, and the partnership, their partnership in that. And if you don't know, we offer a class here for kids eight years and older called Dive. And, and that is a class about baptism. It's for Gen Kids, but not just for the kids. It's also for kids and their parents. And we're going to have that here next week on September the 29th. It's taught by our Gen Kids team. And it's intended to help kids make an important decision about whether they should be baptized or not. And so, mom and dad, you have an important role to play in this uh, to, to help understand if they're ready. I had a mom come up to me last week and uh, after the service, and she said, my daughter wants to talk to you um, about being baptized. And so we got the chance to talk about Jesus and what it meant to let Jesus into your heart. And before the service was over, before, or after the service was over, but before I went home, I got to pray with two young girls to receive Christ that day after the service last week. And they're both going to be baptized here in a couple of weeks. And so I'm looking forward to that. But, but they had to understand in their heart what they were doing, you know, what they were saying, that they were accepting the redeeming work of Jesus Christ in their lives. I was baptized when I was 11 years old. And my mom helped coach me in making that decision. And I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And so maybe you're thinking now, well, what if I was baptized as an infant? You know, what if, then what? Well, if that's where you come from, if that's your history, you know, your tradition, there's nothing wrong with that. But it really wasn't an act of obedience, was it? I mean, if that's your story, you should know that you're not alone. We've got a lot of people uh, in this church that come from a Catholic tradition or a more mainline denomination where they do that as a kid. Um, and we're not mad at you if you did that. That's fine. I mean, that was your tradition. But, but maybe you want to do what many people have done here and make that public decision, that decision of obedience to be baptized as an adult. You know, being baptized is a way of demonstrating your love for God, your obedience to him, as a way of stating that you are living for Christ. If we continue on in Romans 6, verse 5, Paul writes, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, I read the story recently of a woman who served as a missionary in Africa faithfully for many years. And after a long time investing in this one particular tribe um, and teaching them what it means to uh, follow Christ and to die to themselves and to be baptized, um, finally, several members of the tribe agreed that they would be baptized uh, in a shallow river near the village where she was working. Uh, When the service started, though, it wasn't quite the celebration she had envisioned, Um, It was a little bit low-key, but then when the time came to start baptizing, and she took that first believer, and she lowered him into the water, and as he came out, he leapt out, literally leapt out of the water and started jumping and cheering and shouting and celebrating, and the whole crowd just burst into tears and burst into cheering. And, And then the second believer, the same thing happened, and then each one was more loud and raucous than the last. And so when the service was over, she went to the the elders and the people of the village, and she asked about that tradition of celebrating so loudly at each baptism. Here's what she found out, and here's what she told to her friends back in the States. She said, they had heard the scripture I told them, but they didn't understand that it was symbolic. Like when I told them they would be buried through baptism into death, they actually thought it would kill them. But they were still willing to do it. You know, in two weeks... Some of you will be baptized. You're going to stand before this church as a way of announcing that Jesus is the Lord of your life, and then you're going to be united with Christ in baptism, and the old you will die. But it doesn't end there, and you don't want it to end there because eventually you have to come up out of the water. And so when you are baptized, you're baptized into his death, and then number three is this. You are raised alive in Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He was raised into new life. You're going to be raised out of the watery grave the same way that Jesus uh, was raised out of his grave. Baptism just says so much about God's work in your life. You know, your baptism announces that, announces that you have trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It declares that you are forgiven and, and that God's presence is on your life and in your life. And most importantly, your baptism reminds you and everyone present that you will never again be the same. You know, Sam Houston, uh, one of the early pioneers uh, and uh, one of the founders of the state of Texas, uh, wanted to be baptized. His pastor baptized him in a river, and legend holds that his pastor baptized him and then looked at him and said, Sam, your sins are washed away. And Sam Houston came out of the water and said, God help all the fish. You know, Romans 6, 4 says, we are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Now, this Greek word baptize was used in a lot of different ways. Uh, one of the ways it was used in ancient times was when, uh, as a part of the process of making clothing. Uh, they, they, it's like, kind of like when we tie-dye, that they would take the cloth and, and baptize it in dye, and it would baptize in color, and when it came out, it would be different. It would be changed, like the whole garment would look different. And that's precisely what you're demonstrating when you're baptized. Take a look at this. Baptism doesn't mean you are perfect. It doesn't mean you won't screw up again or that life will be easy from now on. And baptism isn't about checking off one more thing from your Christian to-do list. Baptism is all about acknowledging the saving grace of Jesus Christ. You're saying to yourself, your church, and most importantly to God, that you're different. You're changed forever. 
You are a new creation. You're not the same anymore. All of the filth, the old stuff, the insecurities, fear, sin, and guilt. It's buried. It's gone. Dead. It's in your past. Struggles may come, but your salvation, your hope won't be shaken. You are dead to sin and now free and alive in Christ. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, and with him I am pleased. Jesus was baptized, and do you know what happened next? He started ministering. When you stand up publicly and you identify with Christ, when you're baptized into his death and raised to a new life, do you know what happens next? You become a minister. You're released as a minister. You need to understand that. As Christ was raised and released into ministry, that's God's desire for you too. You are baptized and your baptism declares your salvation. But like Jesus, you too are raised into ministry. And and while you're here, you might think, minister, I'm a stay-at-home mom. You know, that's what I do. You don't just stay home. You belong to Jesus Christ. And he saved your life so that you can give your life for him. And maybe you're just like, I, I just sell insurance or I'm just an engineer or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just a, I just own my own business or whatever. No, you don't. God has plans for your life. He wants to do things through your life as you live faithfully for him. Maybe you think, I just wait tables. Well, that may be the station you're in right now, but that's not true. And that's what some of you think, and maybe that's what you get paid to do. But your life has been purchased by the son of God. He paid the price for you. And he forgave you. Now you have the privilege of living for him each day. You know, like Jesus, you are baptized into the ministry and into the life of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said to his disciples 2,000 years ago, the same thing that he says to you and me. He said, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Not just go out and make a bunch of money and retire early and sit on the beach. The most important thing that we've been called to, Jesus says, go into all the world. And make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So what's next for you? And what's your next step? If you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you can say, I know and I trust him for my forgiveness, he's my Lord and Savior, but you've never been baptized before, or maybe you were baptized as an infant, but you're never on your own terms, what's keeping you from getting baptized here in a couple weeks? You know, do it. Mark your card, go to the website and sign up. You can put it on your connection card. You can drop it at the info hub before you leave here. Uh, or you can go to our website at genesischurch.me and sign up to do it. That's the only thing. The only thing that should stop you from being baptized is if you haven't yet made that decision to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's the only thing. If that's the only thing standing in your way, you can make that decision before you leave here today. I'd love to talk to you about that, pray with you about that after the service. Receive Jesus Christ into your life and get baptized with us in a couple of weeks. Hey, if you're here and you've already been baptized and you're wondering, what does all this message mean for me? Maybe that last piece is a great reminder for you. You're in ministry. If you're living a life in Jesus Christ, but you're not serving somewhere, you're not ministering somewhere, you don't have something that you would call your ministry, uh, it's time to get started. And finally, I just want you to think about this. 
This is the first step of Jesus' ministry, and he went on to do many miracles and wonders, but he was the son of God, all right? And, and you may not, no, you won't have the same ministry that Jesus had when he was on earth. I don't want to give you any illusions that you're going to have the same impact that he had, but that shouldn't stop you from trying. You know, got over 100 race numbers up here. You know how many of these races I've won? None of them. Not even close in a lot of them. But that hasn't stopped me from running and enjoying every step along the way. God has greater things in store for you, but the longest journey begins with that single step. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for the example that your son Jesus sent for us. I thank you for this way through baptism that we can we can die to our old self without actually having to die. I mean, it would be much easier uh, to change our lives for you to just bring us into heaven, but we know that you have work for us to do here. And so, God, we just uh, thank you for that. We thank you for that example. And we, I just pray right now for each and every person in this room that they might hear that message and think, okay, what's my next step? What's the next thing for me to do? What does God have for me? What greater things is God calling me to? What, what step of obedience do I need to take? Lord, we all have one. We know that you love us so much that you meet us right where we are, but you refuse to let us stay there. And so would you, over these next few minutes, as we come to you and worship through song, God, would you just move in our hearts? Would you help us to hear uh, from you directly and continue to, to guide us in the way that you would have us go? In Jesus' name.